Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire. iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire. Have you ever heard of the term job crafting? I hadn't heard of it either until I spoke with today's guest, Selena Joppert, and she's a human development expert from Brazil. I was so intrigued with this job crafting term, I began doing some research. Let's talk about the official definition of job crafting. Professor Amy Rosneski from the Yale School of Management introduced the job crafting concept in 2001. It's a proactive approach to changing a job's characteristics to better align with your strengths and passions. The goal is to find more meaning in your work, which will in turn boost your performance and well-being. Most of us spend half of our waking hours at work, and so many people are unsatisfied with their jobs. If you're one of those people and you're in a situation where changing roles within the company or changing companies is unrealistic, I'll explain the job crafting process and how to redesign the job you have into the job you want. Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search. Before you start implementing these changes at work, of course, you need to sell your manager on the idea and get their buy-in. You can't just stop doing some parts of your job and start doing parts of someone else's job. That's why you need to put some thinking time into this project and make a plan before approaching your boss. Job crafting is broken down into three main areas of your job. There's task crafting, cognitive crafting, and relational crafting, and I'll describe all of these areas. Let's start with task crafting, and it's exactly what it sounds like. You're changing the type, the scope, the sequence, and the number of tasks in your role. So you're shaping and molding your role to incorporate your strengths. This might mean adding or removing responsibilities from your official job description. This is where your manager can help. They may be able to see the bigger picture and help see other people in the department who are better suited to certain tasks that you're trying to eliminate. The key is to play to your strengths, allow others to play to theirs, and if this is done right, it's a win-win for everyone. Now, this can start small and grow over time. For example, a chef might decide to improve food presentation which in turn leads to better reviews, and that leads to a better dining experience for customers. As long as it doesn't affect the quality of your work or impact what you were hired to do, you can change the nature of certain responsibilities. We all want meaningful work. We want to feel like we're doing good for people and making the world a better place. 70% of employees say that their work defines their sense of purpose. Cognitive crafting is changing your mindset about what you're doing. By changing our perspective, we can make what we do more meaningful and help us understand our purpose and why our work matters. 
let's say you're a custodian at a hospital and cleaning up after patients is your job. Or you could say your job is creating a healthier, safer environments for patients so they're able to go home sooner. Change your thinking about your job by thinking about what your company does and how it affects other people's lives. The art of relationship crafting means mixing up who we work with, who we communicate with, and who we engage with regularly. Imagine a marketing manager brainstorming with the firm's app designer to learn about the user interface. This unlocks creativity and allows for new relationship building. There is a caveat. Some jobs may not be as craftable as others. You can find a lot of tools on the web to help you do this, from articles, workshops, workbooks, and websites. There's also a lot of videos. You can find the resources you need by Googling job crafting. Positive psychology says finding more meaning in our work makes us happier. It boosts our motivation and it helps us to get higher performance ratings at work. I'm honored to have Selena on the show. We were podcast buddies at Sherm 22, and she's one of the most positive people I've ever met, probably because she graduated from the Whole Being Institute with a degree in positive psychology. She's a coach and a music therapy specialist from the Brazilian Conservatory of Music. The Disney Institute certified her in Disney's approach to business excellence and quality services, and with her extensive training training and experience, Selena helps people reinvent themselves so they can reach their full potential. Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche. We were talking earlier about if someone is not in their ideal job right now, how they can create their ideal job. How would they go about that? Oh, very good question. Um, First of all, I don't believe that you need a formal job. You need to be able to work. I call it workability. So um, a job is perfect. It's something that you work uh, in a payroll and you have uh, you know, your colleagues, you have a, a, a boss usually. And sometimes this is very difficult because um, sometimes you're not enjoying what you're doing or uh, you're not uh, having a good relationship with your boss or you're not using your talents in your job. So um, the first thing that I would advise you to do in that case would be to find what it's good about your job right now. There's always something good, you know. You can make a list of what you enjoy doing and maybe put on more, you know, more hours on doing that kind of activity. You can um, you can um, see your see your boss if you don't like him <laughs> as uh, someone uh, that you were learning from. Maybe even to not to do what he's doing, <laughs> right. but you know, there are some qualities in him. Sometimes you don't see it at work. Maybe you could see it. At home, you can, you know, try to reach more and, you know, connect and learn from your experience. But don't don't leave your job. Don't think about leaving your job all the time because this is negative. You're going to be in a place of scarcity. Scarcity? Yes. Scarcity, yes. Scarcity. 
because this you have to be you have to work on this state of uh, abundance that you find what it's good where uh, you are and then plan to move on or to you know to go to other company or to go work for yourself be, a, be an entrepreneur but um, first find what is good and craft your job try to add what you like the most on daily basis even if it's just a little bit mm -hmm. but you have the sensation that you have you are in control And you'll have to work with your employer to be able to do that and, and have these conversations with them and say, I really feel like I can get in a state of flow when I'm doing X, Y, Z. Because sometimes there's this whole untapped talent pool out there in the workforce that a supervisor might not even know that you have the ability to do until you step up and say, hey, I really want to do this task or, or this thing or go in this direction. And then your boss can say, oh, okay, well, we have a need for that. Let's see if we can do this. So you're going to have to have that conversation and and work with your supervisor or your employer to have, so they can allow you to be that person that you want to be. Yeah, you, know, you can be very surprised because sometimes, uh, you know, you have to show who you are and what you can do because uh, it's always like, oh, I don't like to do this or I don't like to do that, but what do I like to do? So it, it requires also uh, some immersion, you know, some looking within yourself and and getting to to learn what really uh, makes you uh, be in this state of flow when you when you're doing that uh, it doesn't matter what is happening out there you're just very connected you don't see time uh, pass you don't see you know um, anything that maybe uh, a noise or something is you are there you are really really into that activity and the flow state it has to be something also uh, um, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi is from um, uh, it's one of the positive psychology uh, thought leaders uh, he's the one that defines flow he has very bo uh, many books uh, unfortunately he's just passed away uh, I think last year, and he says that flow has to be something that you are um, you are challenging yourself. Yes, exactly. I've I've read the same thing where it's not that you are doing it because it comes very easy for you. It's that there's a bit of a challenge there, and it's engaging the part of your mind that just helps you to block everything else out. Yes, yes, and. There's a certain amount of, of challenge. It doesn't have to be... It can't be too much. Too much. And no challenge at all. You don't go to flow. You don't enter in this state. It's kind of a state of active meditation because you're doing something. So it's like uh, someone is learning how to play tennis, an example. You first, you know, teach to pass the ball through the net 
oh, I'm doing this okay. And then if you keep doing that for, you know, very long, it's go you're going to be bored because you're already uh, doing that very well. So if you ask someone to, um, next time you have to, you know, pass the ball through the net, but you have to, to reach that spot there, that square there. So it's something a little bit, but if you say it's a little bit more challenging, but if you say you have now to play with this guy and he's playing and you have to uh, do a set and uh, that's too much. Mm -hmm. So that uh, you, you will have like anxiety, you will be very nervous and sometimes you give up. So you have to measure the, the size of the challenge, but you have to be challenged. You have to ease into it. Yes, yes. Not too much and not no challenge. Yes, it has to be just right. Just right. So you talked about the psychology. Is, is your degree in psychology? Positive psychology. Positive I, I, psychology. Yes, I am certified in positive psychology. I studied with Tal Ben-Shahar. He's a, a Harvard professor that I admire a lot. And um, on my channel, on YouTube... Inside conferences under Selena Jopert. Uh, I have uh, Tal Ben Shahar, my professor. I have Marty Sel Martin Seligman. Is he's considered the father of positive psychology? And I think that you know positive psychology came with uh, so many possibilities to reinforce. I'm going to talk about myself, what I've been teaching for so long, but now the science is backing backing up. What uh, we, when we talk about finding your strengths, finding the positive side, and um, looking at what is working, because we are so oriented to find the fault, what is not working, scarcity, and what sometimes you know when when someone calls you from uh, the school. <laughs> you say, oh, something's, something has Something's happened yes. with my kid. or But positive psychology would uh, encourage maybe the teacher to call the father to say, you know, or the mother or the, you know, the, the, the parent figures to say, hey, your kid is doing fine. And it, he excels on that and say, he's very good on that. It's, it's a different approach. So I, I'm really... Uh, thankful for so many research and so many studies that really uh, confirm that this uh, way of, of intentionally thinking and promoting in our lives uh, the positive and the strengths uh, are really uh, a very good way to uh, get more results, even to be more productive and to be happier. It's hard not to go to a place where you think something is wrong. If you get called into your supervisor's office or if you get called into HR, if the, the owner of the company wants to see you and they schedule a meeting and you're just like, oh no, what's the matter? What's wrong? What did I do? And, and that's automatically where a lot of people go. And it takes... A long time of working in a company where that's not happening, where you get called in because of the positive reasons or, hey, they just want your opinion on something or they need to see you for something else. But I think that's 
the first place a lot of people go is there's something wrong. I did something wrong. Yeah, because we were trained to be um, to work on like a fearful basis since school, and um, and the language that our parents sometimes use, it's like uh, don't run, don't run. You're gonna fall. You're gonna fall. You're gonna fall, and then you fall. Mm-hmm. Other than please take care of yourself. Be careful. It's different. Yes. The message is different. So uh, the the negative and the 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 danger is uh, you know it's it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger since you were very little. So we get we get so used to the negative. The media always talk about strategies and you know bad things happening, and uh, we we are loaded with <laughs> negative. Uh, um, you know, facts and all the time. So we are bomb. How do you say bombarded? Bombarded. Bombarded. Yes. You. <laughs> we are bombarded with the negative. <sighs> we are stressed yes. with that. So um, we have to change first. The, sometimes it's really to say something bad to you, <laughs> and uh, you have to deal with that. But if you find a culture in a company that, you know, is building um, the employee satisfaction and the employee and you value your people, this is a place that will have the most productive employees. Because there are so many studies that shows that when you are more positive, when you're happier, you are more productive, more creative. You are more. Um, you are. You are able to solve problems more. You know, easy, easier. Right. Um, so we have to retrain our brains to be more positive. It's very easy to have the negative self-talk. Sometimes when I hear someone say something that is negative, or they're putting themselves down, or they're saying something not great is going to happen. I'll say, don't say that. You speak your destiny. Correct that right now. Speak your destiny and say what you want to have happen. And my my kids hear me say this a lot, but, um, and then they'll parrot that back to me. They'll say, well, you speak your destiny. And so then they'll say something really positive or great that's going to happen. But yeah. I, I love that they do that and that they've learned that. And, and you're doing perfect with your kids because it's training. You have to train your brain because it, we are very used to pick up the bad things that happen. It's like a sticker, like the bad things. It's like a Velcro. Do you say Velcro? Velcro. Velcro, yes. Yeah, the bad sticks. And the bad, the bad things, it's Velcro. And the good things, it's like, do you have a pen when things don't stick? How do you call that here? Like to fry something that doesn't... Oh, Teflon. St- Teflon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's Velcro and, and Teflon. Teflon, yes. So the bad and the negative thing is Velcro. So you had great things your day long, you know, you had a very good day. But there, there was something that was not good. At the end of the day, you will rem- remember the bad thing. And yes. we, you rum, ruminate yes. the bad thing. 
because we used that to survive because in our um, the configuration, the wire of your our brains were like you have to when there's danger, when you have uh, something negative, you have to be alert, otherwise you would die. The fight or flight the reflex. F- right. And our primitive brain is like that, and it still is like that. So we have to do like an upgrade on our system <laughs> to be more Velcro people than to be, well, no, to be more, I'm sorry, more Teflon, more Teflon people. people than to be more Velcro people. Right. So if someone is in a job that they really aren't sure that they like, are, but, you know, they're trying to make the best of it, how can they use this positive psychology to do that? Yeah, it's, it's something like that. You, you have to find what is good about your job. What you can, you know, there are, there's always something that you can learn from your job. Or even have the contrast to say, I don't like this, but I have the, a very uh, important intention to create something. Because uh, positive psychology uh, shows that when you are, you know, when you have something on your mind that you want to, uh, like, um, you're expecting, looking forward to something, you're already uh, living that feeling of, uh, so just planning a trip. Very true. Yes. Just planning a trip, just planning to go to the movies, just planning to meet a friend for coffee, is already in your system and you're living that already. So this, it's a positive impact on your system. So if you don't like this job, you tried the first thing that we talked about, you know, making a list of what is positive here, what can I learn from my boss, what can I, can I see a good side on him, or what, I, what am I learning from him? Uh, you know, maybe I'm getting more experience with that, uh, that kind of... Uh, managing style that he has that I will utilize this further down on my, my, my trajectory. But this is something that if you went through those steps and you really know that I don't like this job, start planning, start looking, be curious about other possibilities. Even the workability that I talked about, something that you can do uh, in your free time, like you go nine to five, and then when you get home, you know I'm gonna. I'm so interested in you know, cooking. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna cook for my friends, or I'm so interested in making jewelry. I'm gonna buy some things, and I'm gonna do that. And then you you start finding other ways of putting your art to the world, and uh, and this it's already making some, it's going to be moving. You're not, to start from inertia. Yes. Yeah. When you're in this state of inertia, it's, it's a lot more difficult to, uh, to move. So you said that everybody is an artist, but not in the traditional sense that you would think of an artist being a musician or a painter. You're talking about everyone has their own form of art inside of them. Yes. 
your special way of doing something. Like if I make a sandwich like a hamburger, it's going to be my way of doing a hamburger. You're going to do the same hamburger, but it's going to be, be different than mine. Yes. So when you find um, something that you can do that can transform or touch someone, you are being an artist. You don't need a, a brush or you don't, you don't need a guitar. You need to find your craft in any industry. I met a, a, a shoe shine. Shoe shine person, right? Person yes. at LaGuardia Airport. His name is John. I interviewed him. He's on my channel. <laughs> He's in my channel. Because <laughs> I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't help. He is an artist. Before you go to his uh, chair, uh, you look at him and see, oh, this is a normal uh, shoe shiner. But he's not. When you get there, he starts talking to you in a way. And he has his policies. He doesn't charge women or, or people from uh, church or the, the, the airport staff because they are uh, his family. And he wants to be them to be very um, presentable. So you you sit you sit on his chair and he starts talking to you, and it's such a great person that when you leave his chair, you are transformed. That's great. So he's an artist. Yes, but he uses shoe shining to touch people, to transform people. So what can you do to be able to touch someone, to transform in a positive way someone? This is my definition of being an artist. And an artist, uh, by definition also, wants to show his work to the world. It's yes. generous. So if you have something that you do, just share it with the world. Don't be afraid. Put your art to the world. And then people will want to learn from you. Yes. Th that's the thing. When you're talking to the guy that you met from LaGuardia, you can teach the skill of shoe shining, but you can't teach the skill of talking to people and really drawing them out and making them feel special. And it sounds like that's exactly what this guy did. Perfect. You don't teach people how to be John. Yes. You don't teach people how to be Laurie because you are unique. You are someone special and you have a treasure inside of you. And this treasure, it's so rich that you have to share it with the world. What is the one big takeaway that you would want someone to get from our conversation today? I think it's that you have to value yourself. You have to honor yourself. You have to be who you are and shine. Let your light, let your, you know, your brightness make this world a better place to live. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Selena. Thank you. <laughs> I really love talking to you. I love talking to you too. Yeah. Thank you so much. We appreciate our featured guest for joining the Find Your Niche podcast. Now, more career advice and stories from your host, Laurie Cole. In this
this two-minute tell-all, someone asked if I could speak to the dehumanization of the hiring process. This candidate remembers a time when the hiring process was very transparent and cordial. I remember that too. The hiring managers would meet with you face-to-face, they would shake your hand, they would start to build a relationship, and you were at least given the courtesy of knowing why you weren't hired for a position. Apparently, both employers and candidates have grown desensitized to each other's needs in the online world, which is creating a bad experience for everyone. The candidate I spoke to interviewed with two very large companies for a product manager role before landing his dream job with another company. In their respective industries, these companies were high profile. The candidate compared them to Google-type companies. With the first company, the candidate was invited back for three rounds of interviews. At the second company, he was invited back for four rounds of interviews, including meeting with the senior leadership team. After the final interviews with both companies, he heard nothing. He was completely ghosted by these companies. Following up with the hiring managers proved futile, and the frustrating part is that the candidate still has no idea where and when the process went south. Fast forward one year later, and the candidate finally received a Dear John email from one of the companies, obviously an automated response, saying the company had decided to go in a different direction with the position and wished him luck in his job search. Ghosting is something that we should all be aware of, whether we're a candidate or an employer. Don't leave the other person hanging. Employers out there, follow up, get those emails out, let somebody know when they're no longer being considered. And candidates, you owe employers the same. I've heard employers talk this week about candidates who have ghosted them on the first day of work. Or even worse, they started work the first week and just didn't come back. We all owe each other more. Do your part to make sure the hiring process is a success for all. Is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career? Email to laurie.cole at ihire.com. Thanks for listening.